I have a little presentation to give you all. I can't help myself. Sometimes I find things and I find them humorous, so I want to share them. So this is my moment to share. And when Ben says I'm good... Yay? Why it's not coming through? Really? Okay. I don't know why it's coming through, but... Okay, that didn't work. Let's try it one more time. <laughs> we'll try it one more time. I don't try it with this. I'm gonna get this right. This is 2020. This is Red. 2020. I'm Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. This is 2020. Oh, you nailed it. This is 2020. <laughs> This is 2020. This is 2020. Let no mistake. This is 2020. This is 2020. Do I get a job? 2020. This is 2020. In 2020. Welcome to 2020. My tribute. By the way, this is 2020. <laughs> All right. I know that got nothing spiritual out of that, but... I thought it was kind of interesting. Okay, we're, we're going to try and regroup after that. Uh, you know, I did try it before everybody came, and it worked fine, and that's the problems with technology. I'm always behind the eight ball. In 2020. <laughs> All right, we're in Matthew, the book of Matthew. We haven't been here for about five weeks, and I'm going to take some time getting us back on track. We're try I'm trying to go through Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 this morning. That is our goal, and uh, prayerfully, you're there. I wasn't. I was too busy trying to work a video. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, and let's just read 17 through 20, and I have to give you some background and regroup where we're at in the book of Matthew, because we haven't been here for about a month and a half, so uh, we're good. For those of you that are on, watching on video, I uh, wish you all a happy 2020. <laughs> so why not? We could do it again. Um, so let's read. We're going to read verses 17 through 20. These, these verses are much uh, often misunderstood, and we're going to try and get an understanding of it. And I hopefully, prayerfully, when I give you a background, it'll help. Um, verse 17 says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the pro or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called the great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So let me just give you a, a little understanding uh, that kind of probably because I was doing a little uh, side series we didn't have a chance to get into. But last month was not only Christmas, but it was Hanukkah. Everybody know it was Hanukkah, right? Everybody celebrate Hanukkah? Everybody understand what Hanukkah is about? No, we're not going to go through a whole teaching of Hanukkah. But I want to tell you what that time period brought in. We're talking about 325 B.C. to the coming of Christ somewhere between 6 and 4 B.C. That, that time frame brought in a perfect time so that when Jesus was born, he came in the perfect time. What happened around 320, uh, 336 B.C. was what we call the Hellenic Age. Greece was roaring and, and taking over through not only uh, the, what we would call Socrates, Plato, Aristotle's, uh, those Stoics, those kind of teachings, the philosophers were coming to a, an age. Uh, 
and, and a time that everybody wanted to be Greek. It was good to be Greek. It was a, a good thing to be Greek. And Alexander the Great was conquering the Mediterranean world and the Middle East. Uh, and, he orders, and he orders all who have been conquered to learn and speak Greek, which sets up for our Greek New Testament. Okay? And, and therefore, hence, when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. Alexander was known as the leopard of Daniel uh, chapter 7, uh, who swiftly conquered Egypt, Babylon, uh, Persia. He's also known as the he-goat of Daniel chapter 8, who conquered the Medes and the Persians. So that's what's going on about 325 A.D., uh, right before Alexander uh, dies at a very young age of about 33 from too much drinking, too much partying, and too much of everything, uh, but not enough correct living. Uh, the post-Alexander Greek came to rise, and during that time, uh, a, a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes came to rule and uh, took, basically desecrated the temple in Israel. And in 165, there was a rise of a group called the Maccabees. Uh, Maccabees are known as the Hammers. Judas Maccabee was Judas the Hammer, or Judah the Hammer. Uh, they were the Hasmoneans. And these, these groups of people helped uh, free Israel and free the temple. And th during that time period, they prayed that the oil would light the temple for at least a uh, time frame that was available, and it lasted for eight days, hence the festival of lights called Hanukkah, which came about in, ready for this? December 25th, 165 B.C. Happy Hanukkah. Okay? Um, but during this time period, right after this time period, about 20 years later, came a group of people that rose known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees are known as the separate ones. And these Pharisees, um, basically, um, they, they were separated because they didn't want anything to do with Rome. The religiosity of Rome, anything in Rome, so they were called the separate ones. So Pharisees have to do with separation. And another group, since they were different than the Pharisees in many ways, not only different in ideology, but also theology, gave rise to a group called the Sadducees. And so we have these two groups that come to fruition about 136 B.C. You don't need the dates. It's just that time frame. So now they have 100-something years to, to basically uh, solidify their teeth and claws into people. That's why when you see in verse 36, they have to have whoever enters his kingdom, their righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees and the scribes because they had a self uh, induced uh, righteousness, their righteousness came about because they interpreted the law their way, and they added to it. Now today, in today's Judaism, if you find Orthodox Jews, they will give a higher understanding to, uh, to the oral laws than the written laws. The oral laws were passed down through different ways, and they have the Mishnah or the Talmud, though both of those involve oral laws. And they were never to be elevated above God's written laws. And if you decide, here is what the law says, and that's why Jesus, in the next part, will say in verse 21, it says, you have heard that the ancients were told. You have heard certain things. He's talking to the crowd. You have heard this is the interpretation of the law. It's wrong. And Jesus, is, as a leading rabbi, a teacher of the time, he's going to say, what you understand is the law is wrong. Because that law is man's law or man's additions to the law. Uh, the fun one comes at the end. You've heard that love your enemy and, I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's nowhere in scripture. That's nowhere. I can't find a verse that ever says hate your enemy. But, they, but according to pharisaical laws, you could hate your enemies. That's why there's another time when the question is brought to Jesus, who is our neighbor? Because if it's not my neighbor, it's going to be my enemy. And I don't have to do anything for my enemy. And basically, Jesus says, anybody in your periphery is your neighbor. Nobody's your enemy. So it's, it's, it's good to understand that background. Because when we get here, Jesus has a, uh, basically an understanding of who is Jesus to the Torah? Who is Jesus to the law? Who is Jesus to the written word of God? And what is his interaction with that? And we'll look at that this morning. And then how does Jesus look at the law and want people to understand it? Now I've got to drop back even more. Pretend like you're an Israelite for a minute, a Jew in the time of Jesus. 
What did they have to do? Because their king was on earth. They had to be obedient to the law. They had to have a law righteousness. Now, not, not, listen, this is very important. Because somebody will walk out of here and say, oh, you're saved by works. No. This is a nation who had to orient to their king. Their king has a set of rules for his government. Okay? It has nothing to do with salvation. Salvation was a given when you came into his kingdom and believed he was your Messiah. Then you would line up with that. So two different issues, but the same idea is that you had to be obedient to the law. And if you read, and I would encourage you to do this, uh, Leviticus and do, especially Deuteronomy 28, they would be blessed if they what? Obeyed the law. And if you, or if you don't know what the law is and you're obedient to the Pharisees, you don't have right to the kingdom. Do you understand? And Jesus is speaking specifically in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 to a nation that is going to be part of that kingdom. So he's giving them an understanding of the kingdom. Up until that point, they had an understanding of the Pharisees and what was religious. And many people today, take it to apply it today, many people today are religious, okay? We don't want religion, we want to be biblically correct. This thing's going to drive me nuts all day. Saying, why are you wearing a jacket? Okay. So with this being understood, as the framework we look at the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon given to the Jewish people, specifically beginning with his disciples, ending with the multitudes, was to get them to understand what it took to be part of the kingdom. I think that's pretty clear, because otherwise, what do you do with verse 19? Look at verse 19 for a minute. This will make things much clearer if you understand 19, because it says, Whoever annuls any of these commandments and teaches others shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But they're going to be in the kingdom of heaven, aren't they? There's just a specific order they will have as to how they align to the, the law. You got me? Okay, and then it says... But whoever keeps and teaches them has salvation. No, it doesn't say that. They'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. So it has to do with greatness and least uh, uh, a level of authority in that kingdom. Okay? And it has to do with how you align to God's word and his law. Is that kind of clear? We're good? Because what happens is some people say, this is how you get into heaven. And some people, no, it's not. Because the issue becomes very uh, works-oriented. And then you're still getting into heaven anyway for doing nothing. What? Uh, so be, don't, don't make it say something it doesn't say. It's talking about here is Jesus the king. Remember what we said now. Here's, here's what will help us regroup a little bit for a minute. Um, I have the, uh, this slide that I began with I don't know how long ago, but I pulled it back up. And this gives us a kind of an outline, a helping outline through the book of Matthew. Okay. And we started with Matthew chapter 1 and 2, which is the prologue to the king. Uh, we showed how he was born, how he came, his genealogy, so on and so forth. Then we looked at the preparation of the king, that he would be baptized and be tempted. Remember that? It's all about the king. He is presented. Matthew is all about the king. That's it. If you keep that in your focal point, you'll understand that. Well, now we're in chapter 5, and if... And it says here in our outline that we're kind of using for a helpful guide, the preaching of the king. What's the preaching of the king about? Now, go back to chapter 4, chapter 4 of Matthew. I know this is a lot of repetition, but that's good. We will sooner or later get into the text. So we're, we're dealing with how does this king, and, and for sake of outline, they have, we have all these P's. Helps us to remember. But I wouldn't say preaching. I would say teaching. Verse 23. Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. says, Jesus is going about in all of Galilee. Teaching in the synagogues. How many of you have ever been in a synagogue? How many have ever taught in a synagogue? Most of you would not be in a synagogue. Because why? Rabbis teach in the synagogue today. So Jesus had some kind of rabbinic status at that time. Being a very learned Jewish person. That could teach the word. Later, Luke even opens up and reads from the Haftorah, the book of Isaiah, okay? And it says he's in the synagogues, and he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And as he's the king, and he's presenting that gospel, his credentials to verify his message says what? 
He was going about healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So that's what Jesus was doing at that time as the king, as he was being presented to the people. Okay? So when we get to chapter 5, we have a great example of his preaching of what? The gospel of the kingdom. So when we look at chapter 5, 6, and 7, since the Lord worked it out that my Bible's all in red letters. You got red letters? So helpful, right? But we know that Jesus is teaching something about the good news of the kingdom. Thank you. So we're all, that's what he's talking about. Stay within the framework, and it'll be very easy to understand Scripture. Scripture does a really neat thing. Scripture what? What? Scripture explains Scripture. We just got it explained to us. We know what this is about. We can't say this is for the church. This is, we can't say kingdom now, and we have to have these ethics. And it begins with the blessedness of those people who will line up to his laws in the kingdom. Blessed will be uh, the meek, and blessed is the, is, uh, the poor in spirit. Blessed is the, those who mourn. Blessed are gentle. Those are the people that are blessed in that kingdom because that's who they are in that kingdom. It's simple, okay? Now we're in a part which is hard. Jesus in the law. Here's why it's hard. Ready for this? So many people today want to obey the law to be right with God and insist on if you're not obeying the law, you're not right with God. That's jamming something into our interpretive model that's wrong. Our hermeneutic says we are not, now understand what I'm going to say, we're not legalists of the Old Testament keeping the Mosaic Covenant. There's enough laws for us that are repeated in the New Testament that we're supposed to do, okay? But if you look at the Mosaic Covenant, not only the Ten Commandments, everything else that goes along with it, and I want to say this as nice as I can, you cannot separate out laws that you think should apply to you today and say, I'm obeying these laws but not these, a uh, group of Seventh-day Adventists I met with were a lovely group of people that used to rent our church in South Florida. But I say, why are you keeping the Sabbath day and you're not keeping all the other laws? When was the last time you sacrificed anything? And they said, well, that's not for us today, but the Seventh day is. Let's, let's, let's be uh, biblical, okay? No, it's not. Uh, not. And today is not Saturday. It's today Sunday. It's not the Christian Sabbath. It's just Sunday. And it's a day we choose as a congregation to meet on, on Sunday. If we met Friday night, would it be wrong? No. Okay? Uh, some of you may like that, so you could do something else on Sunday. We're not doing that. We're meeting on Sunday. Because we do that supposedly as we honor the Lord's resurrection every week, right? However, when we look at Jesus and we're looking in his verses, Jesus has to align with the law. Uh, here's really why he's born under the law. Did you all know? Oh, you all know that, right? Jesus was born in a time frame or an economy. He was under the Mosaic law. If you don't believe that, go back and do research. The, tab, the priesthood was still ongoing. They still had a high priest. We've seen that earlier in Matthew and in Luke. You would see that John the Baptist's father was serving at the temple. There were still sacrifices being made at least till 70 A.D., when the temple was destroyed. So the temple and the Levitical uh, priesthood was still in operation. Not today. Not today. So you have that whole part of the law that's gone. How do you obey the law if that's gone? Well, we obey the law in Christ. Well, that's good. But here's Jesus is born under that uh, terms and under that understanding. And Jesus is speaking and doing things. And he comes up against the Pharisees, I don't know how many times in Scripture, but he comes up against them constantly. And what the constant banging about is, is what is the, what is the law? And why are you, Jesus, overriding the law? Why are you not doing certain things? Why are you doing things wrong? Why do, why do you allow your disciples to do certain things like what? What was one of the things the disciples were allowed to do and, and the Pharisees found horrific? Huh? Eat with unwashed hands. Where's that in the Bible? Think about this for a minute. Now, hopefully and prayerfully, all of you in here will wash your hands this afternoon before you eat. There's enough sick people in here. You better do that. If you want to, sanctify your whole body. Cleanse yourself, whatever, okay? 
But we don't say, here is the written law on washing your hands. Most washings, or mikvahs, they were called, or we later called them baptisms, were extra biblical. In other words, they were outside of the framework of the Bible. How many times you would wash. Uh, What a priest had to go through making an offering and sacrifices, especially during the Day of Atonement, were outside of Scripture. But they'd have to wash, change their clothes, do part of the sacrifice, go out, wash, change, put on fresh linen, go back and do parts of that. You would want to quit this job. Okay? But these were called extra-biblical writings or oral laws. Okay? So let's, let's ask a few questions that sets the pace for the rest of chapter 5, or make some statements. Uh, Jesus will address the permanency of law. Is the law permanent? How is the Mosaic law to be understood for the nation of Israel, not for you, not for us in this church time frame? How is the Mosaic covenant to be understood, or Mosaic law? He will address the purpose of the law in the kingdom. What's the purpose of the law in the kingdom? He will address a righteousness of the law in that kingdom. There's a righteousness. Now, we are righteous in Christ, right? Absolutely. I have free entrance into the kingdom because what Christ did for me, and the moment I'm saved, he places, the Holy Spirit places me in Christ, and I have his righteousness. That's not discussed yet. Jesus hasn't died on the cross, Right? Fourthly, he will address points of the law in relationship to that kingdom. You with me so far? Nothing have I said is in relationship to this moment in time. It all has to do with the kingdom. So in Jesus' time, he was the king presenting the kingdom. And if that generation accepted him, the kingdom would come and be ushered in. There is going to be another generation that's going to be offered this. And the kingdom will be ushered in right at the end of the tribulation, and Jesus will come again and set up his kingdom, and these are the guidelines of his kingdom. Okay? Until then, there's a whole different set of understandings, even though some of them are similar to the Mosaic law. You with me? Now, when we look at these verses, and especially these specific verses we're going to be dealing with this morning, We're going to be dealing with Jesus as the Messiah, not individual Jewish people. Today we deal with individuals in what we call the body of Christ that make up the body. We deal with individuals. I think what often happens, and a lot of commentators miss this, if Jesus is the Messiah being presented to Israel, he's dealing with them as a nation, a national entity. It's fascinating. Israel's the only one that has kept its national distinction. Think about this for a minute, just kind of just with me. If you were to do a DNA test today, most of you would test what? Irish-American, Russian-American, Welsh, English, wherever your background is. If I missed you, I'm sorry, but we're a society that's an amalgamation of different peoples, right? Nobody would ever test and say, my DNA says I'm pure American. Now, I understand Native Americans probably could, but that's very few and far between, and I don't know how that would test would work out, okay? So hear me on that. But we're, we're from different places. You test Jewish people, and there's a test for that. Um, not DNA specific yet, but there's a test for that. It's called God's Book of Records. And what's tribal distinction you are, and that makes up, those 12 tribes make up Israel. Not one, tri- not one of the 12 has ever been lost. The book of Revelation says there will be 12,000 from each tribe gathered together to witness to the coming of this king and kingdom, okay, during the, during the tribulation. So God's got a record book somewhere. And as long as God's got that record book, I'm good with that, Okay. So here's what we got. We have a problem in verse 17 to start right off the bat. Jesus and the law. That almost looks like Jesus. Nah. I don't know. I really don't know. I do know one thing. He's got to look Jewish. So I don't know. Okay. First of all, let's just, um, well, we need a good translation. Let's just do that. Here's what happens. When we look at certain things, I think it helps us to get a grasp of what's being said in the context of what's being said. When we look at this verse, it starts in verse 17. In the Greek, it starts out with a negative. It starts out with a negative word, uh, may, 
or me, if you're looking at it in English, M-E. It's basically making this whole statement starting off with a negative. Uh, there's a negative tone because there's a presupposition of people that are happening at the time, and Jesus says you need to stop this presupposition. You know what happens when you have presuppositions? In any paradigm of life, if you come into something with a presupposition, there's an expectation that goes along with it, and if it doesn't meet it, it can't be that. And many Jewish people reject Jesus at this time as their king because their number one presupposition was this. When Messiah comes, he'll destroy Rome. And Jesus wasn't teaching at any point that Rome is going to be destroyed. He even says at one point, render unto Caesar which is Caesar's. That's not what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear what? There is no April 15th anymore. No more tax day. We don't have to give them anything. That's what they wanted to hear. And Jesus says, nah, this, is, this is their rule right now, and it's good. We're good. Uh, there's problems with that. And the presupposition as to what Jesus was doing, and many times the Pharisees accuse him of being a lawbreaker and a sinner and sitting in the seat of sinner. So they, their number one supposition is Jesus is a lawbreaker. Look at Matthew chapter 9. Hold your finger here. I just want you to see some of these. Because again, when we look at Matthew, Matthew's not in chronological order. It's in theme order. So now we got to say, here's what Matthew 9 says. This was happening in Matthew 5. You with me? Okay. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 10 says, And it happened as he was reclining at the table in the household, behold, many tax gatherers, probably Matthew himself, and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And I don't know what kind of supper this is. I don't know if you've ever had a night at your house and called it game night for tax gatherers and sinners. But it's interesting that Matthew's looking at this and Jesus is dining with people that he shouldn't be dining with, according to all counsel. Okay? He's, he's having uh, a time of supper with um, tax gatherers and sinners. And then it says in verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this. Now, I don't know how the Pharisees saw this. I don't know if it was like an open window for them and they walked before the window and were checking in and looking in. But somehow it got to them and they knew what was going on. And the Pharisees saw this and they said to, to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? Why? Because according to normal standards, you don't do that. You don't mingle. You know, yeah, you don't mix cloths kind of idea. These are sinners. You don't want to get what they got on you kind of idea. But when he heard this, when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, the Pharisees thought what? They were healthy. They didn't look for any physician. They didn't need help. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. And I did not come to call righteous, but the sinners. In other words, you think you're so self-righteous. It calls not for you because you won't answer it. It's for sinners. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. And I don't think I have to go very far other than verse 24 to give you an idea what the Pharisees thought. Now, remember, Jesus was going around. He was healing the sick. Remember verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 23. He's healing the sick, getting rid of diseases, casting out demons. And when the Pharisees heard this in verse 24, they said, this man, this man, I love that, this man, you get what they're saying, right? This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Now, what? Where did they get this information? Well, they made it up. It sounds really good, but if you really think it through and you, in your cognitive mind, it makes no sense. Why would Satan throw out Satan? But that's what they're saying. And Jesus kind of refutes that. But I want you to understand what he's up against in chapter 5. He's up against a group of people that are leading the people. They, they lead the uh, understanding of the common folk because common folk are really easy. Uh, I'm going to do this. And I've never done a poll, but I'm going to say this. If you go to the average Jewish person today and say, here's Isaiah 53, what do you think? Know what they're going to say to you? I, I guarantee you this is the average guy. If they go to temple, they're going to say, I have to ask my rabbi. I have to ask my rabbi. Okay, if they don't go, they're going to say, I don't care. Not relevant. If you go to the average Catholic, they're going to say the same thing. 
You're going to say, here's what this verse says. What does it say? Well, I have to ask my priest. The only thing is the person's changed. So in religion, they have a higher authority they answer to who gives them their thinking. Right? It's real easy. The week Jesus, before his crucifixion, he came into Jerusalem, they were saying what? What are the crowd saying? Hosanna, right? Praise Jesus. He's coming. Here's the king. What did they say? I think it was four days later, four or five days later, crucify him. Where did they get that information from? How did they change? Because the leadership wanted him crucified. So it's really uh, that group mentality. You think what people want you to think. It's dangerous. Okay, that's why I always tell all of you, verify. Don't think my thoughts after you. Look at scripture, verify what it says. Okay, so when we get to chapter 5, verse 17, you have this thinking going on. It says, do not think. And I think that word's wrong. Basically, he's saying don't, basically it means to practice, to consider, to suppose. Uh, In this negative form, it always shows up as do not hold to this supposition. Do not hold it or this presupposition. Quit holding it. Where did you get this from? Now, remember who he's talking to. Initially, he's talking to his disciples. And in that group of disciples is a guy named Judas, who's not a believer, will never become a believer, who will later uh, find a way to, to uh, betray him. I don't know who invented this, but they didn't have my ear. Um, who will betray him. Then later the group expands to those people that need to think biblical thoughts, okay? And he says, stop thinking, stop having this presupposition that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, I think this is important for us to understand because the word abolish breaks down to two words, and later he'll use the root word of this, but it's kata luo, basically means to bring to an end, to destroy, to completely demolish. In other words, the thinking, the presupposition at the time is anything Jesus was doing was going to be a law destroyer. He was basically uh, on earth to destroy anything that had to do with Mosaic law. He was basically, basically making them non-Jews. They were not going to follow the Mosaic law. And Jesus, their thinking was he's come to do away, to abolish, to destroy the law and the prophets. I think that's important for us to see that. Uh, what, what they're saying. Um, and, and I think that's necessary for us to see this because he says uh, very clearly, he says, I did not come to abolish. So he uses the same word. I didn't come to destroy. I didn't come to do away with this. Uh, and here's, here's what's interesting. He changes the negative. Remember I said the very first word in the sentence is may, M-E, which is a negative. Now he said uses the negative ook, O-U-K. I used to say it's very interesting, very easy to know the difference t- between me and ook, because when you me, you do it once. When you ook, you, it's all over the place. So he's saying, uh, stop this presupposition. Stop this thinking that you, you've got in your mind that I've come to destroy or do away with the law and the prophets. I have not, no way, never have I entered in ever to abolish the law and the prophets. But, I think that's uh, fascinating for the thing because this is a very strong contrast. He's saying, I've not come to do this. No way, no how. But I have come to do this. <laughs> and I think we need to know this because this is the key to why Jesus is here on earth as the king of kings. He's come to fulfill the law. Fulfill the law. What is Jesus' purpose? It's to bring the law to its intended purpose. Now, let me just tell you something. Uh, as we look at this, so you can get an understanding when he talks about the law and, and, and the... Man, I, here's, here's the law and the prophets. It's a wonderful little colorful illustration, as you can see this. So if you have the Hebrew Bible in your hand, it's called the Tanakh. See it? Tanakh. Each letter, main Hebrew letter because Hebrew doesn't have vowels, each major Hebrew letter has to do with a different part of the Bible. So the T has to do with Torah, the N has to do with Nevi'im, and the K has to do with Kethuvim, okay? Tanakh. And if you look at the different sections, I've not come to destroy the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? 
I've not come to destroy that. The, the, the prophets are here, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, uh, which is the former, the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12. Remember in the Hebrew Bible, they don't separate all the minor prophets as one book. So if you notice so far, this is our Bible. We have that. And the writings were always considered part when you said the law and the prophets were a part of that. You couldn't separate them out. So when we look at the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew Bible has always been canonized. It's always been the same set of books since the time of Jesus. And Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy any of that. I came to fulfill it all. What a fascinating statement. What a fascinating statement. Because if you look at some of these books, some of these books tell you very much about Jesus. He was in the desert with the, with the Jewish people in the book of Numbers. He was about all things and words as it was repeated in Deuteronomy. Jesus was in the very beginning. He's, he gave them the names that were given in Exodus as they Exodus Egypt. He gave them his name in Exodus chapter 3. So it's fascinating when we see these things, these little minutia things that he's saying, how could I have done away with it? This is me. It's the very word I am. Okay? So here's what Schofield's notes. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, this is in his notes. This is very helpful to what Jesus did, his relation to the law. So I pulled them out because he said it better than I did. So we're going to use them. First of all, Jesus was made under the law. According to Galatians 4.4, when he came to earth on that morning he was born, not in December, okay, he was made under the law, that when Jesus came, he was under the law. We already discussed this. Secondly, he lived the perfect obedient, obedience to the law. Jesus did the law. You couldn't find any, any even, even uh, Pilate says, what, I wash my hands. This guy's what? He's innocent. I wash my hands So this guy because I can't find no fault in him. And that's Pilate. Thirdly, he was a minister of the law to the Jews, clearing it from rabbinical sophistries, in other words, rabbinic uh, understanding, uh, enforcing in it all the, its pitless severity upon those who profess to obey it. <laughs> That's pretty nicely said, right? In other words, these guys were saying, I obey the law. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? What must I do to what? Get into heaven, have eternal life? And Jesus says, here's the law, you must obey these. And what did the rich young ruler say? From my birth, I've done all these things. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. And Jesus says, what? Go and sell everything. So that's going to get you eternal life. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. What is the rich young ruler say? I can't do that. So one rule the king gave him, how was his obedience? Not real good, right? Uh, but confirming, going on here, but confirming the promises made to the fathers under the Mosaic Covenant. He also fulfilled the types of the law by his holy life and sacrificial death. So if you look at the ceremonial law that had to do with the Levitical sacrifices, Jesus was all the sacrifices. If you don't understand that, go read the book of Hebrews. That helps clarify that. Fifthly, he bore vicariously the curse of the law that the Abrahamic covenant might avail all who believe. In other words, that Abrahamic covenant is important for that kingdom. He promised to bless Israel, to provide for them a land. And that's all provided in, in that. And we'll, we'll get in that because the next book I'm going to teach after Matthew is Galatians. For those of you that will live that long, or me, <laughs> Sixthly, he brought out by his redemption all who believe from the place of servants under the law to a place of sons. We are no longer servants, but sons. Seventhly, he mediated by his blood the new covenant of assurance and grace in which all believers stand, establishing the law of Christ with its precepts of higher exaltation made possible by the indwelling spirit. Uh, the Holy Bible containing, uh, that's where the comments came from, anyway. Um, so this gives us a kind of a framework which to understand what Jesus did to what? Fulfill, bring the law, and I, th I think it's important for us to understand this, to its intended goal. What was the goal of the law? For, for the nation to be obedient or for someone to come that would fulfill it all? Listen, fulfill it all. Anything Genesis through Deuteronomy talked about, He'd fulfill. Anything in the minor and major prophets, he would fulfill. And that means he's got a lot more to fulfill, right? He's got to come again. Anything that the uh, writings talked about, he has to fulfill. 
And when we look for fulfillment, we can't say, oh, Jesus fulfilled Genesis 3.15, but not Micah 5.2. Right? He's got to fulfill them all in only one person. So when we talk about, is Jesus the Messiah? Well, did he fulfill those messianic prophecies about the first coming? And we say only he could. Nobody else can today. When we opened up the book of Matthew, we talked about his genealogy. He's the born, born the son of Abraham, the son of David. Who's the son of David today? Now, if your father's name is David, you can say me. But that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the king. Right? Then he says in verse 17, I mean verse 18 of Matthew chapter 5, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Everything matters in law. Every word, every letter. And let me give you an understanding in Hebrew, because he would be in a Hebrew framework, even though Greek was being spoken, he's in a Hebrew framework. A jot was the smallest of the Greek letters, a yod. A yod is probably the smallest, even though it looks immensely large up there. It's a very small letter, okay? It's always a Y. So when you say the word Yahweh, it's what? In there twice, right? Yohaveha, right? Um, and then tittle or the, small, or, or the stroke of a pen. Now, if you notice, it's, if, if some of you were really good penmanship, in school, your teacher would never mark you off, but you were off a little bit. You get a mark to say, no, that's not right, or that letter's not shaped right. Remember the old days of learning to write cursive? All seven of you that may know how to write it. It's <laughs> talking to a kid in school. We don't learn cursive anymore. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, not only are the bath and cough a uh, little different, if you notice the little tag here, but if you go do a Dalit or Resh, they have a di different one. You turn the letter upside down. It would be s similar, and it would have a little tail. And that little tiny thing makes those two letters different. Okay? And you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, if you're writing a letter and you write those two, that could be... It could be dangerous if you change those two letters. So it's important. So what Jesus is saying is every letter matters. The word of God means even down to the very letter. God chose specifically not just the words, but the letters of those words. So when he wrote those two wonderful uh, testaments, I guess is the best way to say it, one in Hebrew, he chose a specific language that meant what it meant and said what it said, and then he choose, chose Greek for exactly its difference, and that's what he's saying. He's saying everything matters. Everything matters. So we have a summary so far. Let me just give you where we're at so far uh, and get an understanding. Well, um, well, let me just say this. I want to add one more point to this, to those eight points. I want to add one more point. I think this is important for us to get this. Christ was going to retrieve by, being, by bringing the fullness of the law that, uh, and what it was to accomplish, he was going to bring the proper meaning to the law, which the Pharisees had obscured. Look, look with me at Matthew 15. He's fine. You can bring him up here. He could be on camera. Nobody, nobody on camera knows what I'm talking about. That's my grandchild. Just first wine at my, usually I put kids to sleep. And adults too. Never mind. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 1 of Matthew, it says, Then some of the scribes, Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? I love that. Why did they not wash their hands? This is what James brought up, and I want to bring up what, what Jesus responded. And he answered and said to them, Why do you, you yourselves transgress the commandments of God because of, this, of your tradition? Listen, Jesus is saying, you are worried about them transgressing a tradition, and because of your, transgress, your tradition, you're transgressing the law. That's a lawyer to you. You want to understand? That's a guy that knows the law and how to use the law, and he says, you're breaking the law because of your traditions. What do they do? They made the oral traditions higher than the written law. And he goes on, for God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you, you might have been helped by has been given to God. In other words, here's what God says, how you're honoring your mother and father. You're saying, well, everything I have I've given to God. 
This is I gave it to God. I can't help my parents. You know, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Verse 6 says, he is not to honor his father or his mother, and thus you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. I, I want you to understand, this is like him taking the glove off and smacking him in the face. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. <laughs> What's he using? The word of God. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. They're teaching men's thoughts as the very words of God themselves. And, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, not one jot or tittle will pass away from the written word, and they've gone outside of the word. So this verse, in verse 17, has addressed those under the law, this is not living life today in the church age. The Pharisees had put a yoke of bondage upon the people, and they were making the kingdom of heaven one, of suffer, one that suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. They were forcing things upon the people they could not have. Any Jew who knew the Old Testament realized that Jesus spoke of himself as the coming one, the Messiah. He was presenting himself if you just read the word. Many people today say Jesus never claimed to be God. What Bible are they reading? Over time and time again did he claim to be God. They had supposed Jesus had come to abolish the law, destroy it, or do away with the law. Why? Because the Pharisees, the scribes, all held tradition. Now, they didn't invent the song, but Fiddle on the Roof made it history. Tradition. Tradition. How many times, and many of you never, never seen the movie, but I urge you to, but many times the lead actor in Fiddle on the Roof says, the word of God says this, the good book says this, the good, and not once is he quoting from that good, this good book, he's probably quoting from a good book. Now many of you written, read good books, they're not biblical books, but they may be good books, you know, maybe the label by them is a law destroyer. Jesus did not fast. Jesus did not observe their clean and unclean paradigm. He taught as one with authority. Jesus then fulfills the law by a perfect life from the very beginning and, re and retrieved the very meaning of the law to which the Pharisees had obscured. That is what Christ is doing. What does the law really say? He held a high view of Scripture. That meant every letter, every stroke of the pen was important. Do you know when the scribes copied the words of God? Because back then they didn't have Xerox. They had to physically copy the words of God. And when it came to even the name of God, they would write one letter, put the pen down, go wash their hands, come back in, write the next letter, go wash their hands, come back in. It was a tedious, copious process. And when you look at copyists and you say, what errors do they have? Slim to none. And the errors that are so uh, heavily beat by textual critics have nothing to do with the, t with the text itself, that have nothing to do with the t understanding of Scripture. Nothing. It was kept intact because the sacredness of the text and, this, and how the copyists did it. And not one person did one copy. They changed manuscripts constantly. So what was Jesus' level of importance to the law? Everything matters. Look at verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of these, one of these. Now, I, th I think it's important for us to see this. When Jesus is starting out in verse 18, he says, Truly I say to you, this is Jesus addressing the problem simply as the divine God-man, I want you to understand this. He's got all authority to do what he's going to do for the next, uh, for this rest of this chapter. And he just sets it up with the paradigm and says, I say to you, I, emphatically, I say to you, so that his disciples would understand that the rules are not subjective. 
He's giving them a full understanding of what is this to, ha- to happen. And, and, and it's to, to happen until everything passes away, until everything comes to pass. He says, until all is accomplished. And then we get to verse 19, and he says, he says this is important. Not, well, let me give you a translation of verse 18 so you can understand this better. And then we'll, finish, we'll really pick up with verse 19 as we do this. He says, here's a translation of it so you can get a better understanding. For this reason, on my own authority, I say to you, until heaven and earth shall pass away, as a rule, not one iota or one tittle, no way, never, not possible, shall pass away from the source of the law until all come to be, till everything come to be. That means when we're looking at God's word and it, something hasn't been fulfilled, that means that verse is still held, upheld. So everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament matters. I've heard it said before, we don't have to teach the Old Testament. It's not for today. We just... It will only, only even, even some people have even said, oh, just Paul's books. No, because what you're saying is that doesn't matter. And Jesus said it mattered. The law, I want you to understand this, the law is to Israel as a means of nationhood. It was their constitution. Let me ask you something. You're an American today. Throw your constitution away. You don't need it. How do you feel about that? That's the most un-American thing you could possibly do. Problem is, let's understand the Constitution as it's written, okay? And that's what was Israel's problem. Jesus was the one reviewing their relationship. He was their king, and he was their people, and they were his people. The law had been abused for years by the religious leadership, even prior to the Pharisees. Go back to the time of Ezra, where Ezra had actually opened up the Word of God again and read it to them. They had lost their ability to even interact with the Word of God. And I believe today nothing's changed. We have too much religion in this world. The law was to bring the people into a closer relationship with God. It, they were to light a dark The nation of Israel was to light a dark world to what it is like to be God's own possession. Now we can transfer that today. We are God's people. We are the very people of the Lord. We are his body. Do we bring light to show the people what it's like to be in his body, to be in Christ? Do we show people? But here's what Israel is. The law and the nation are together. If the law is done away with Jesus, and Jesus abolished it for some reason, the nation of Israel too was done away with. How does that work? Because there's people today that say, God's not dealing with Israel anymore, but I believe in Jesus. You can't. You can't believe in Jesus and not understand there's still a plan for the nation of Israel. And, his, and for his people to be blessed as a nation, that was to understand the very intentions of God's law to them. Not one iota, not one tittle, it all mattered. They could not leave anything out and they could not change any of it at any point. The focus is never on the Ten Commandments. The focus is on Genesis through Malachi. Therefore, Jesus stood on solid ground of the inspiration of the whole Bible. Not one jot, not one tittle of both the law and of the prophets. It all mattered. And I believe, therefore, we as believers today must have a high regard for both the Old and New Testaments. So the status in the kingdom would be, would be adjudicated by their interaction or their association with the law as a whole. That's what verse 19 is saying. What is your association with the law? Don't annul any of it because you're the least. Keep it and you're great. We say, well, I can't keep it. Well, there's a paradigm for that too. But for it begins with the interaction of that law. Key here is that all the law is of the utmost importance. And the disciples were to teach the people to keep it, to obey it, to obey their king, to understand who their king is. And the disciples would be great in that kingdom. Remember later they said, who, who of us is the greatest? <laughs> what a great question. I don't know if I would have ever asked that question. They even sent mom to do it at one point. 
Mom, we can't get an answer. Can you go check it out? This proves that the Pharisees were totally outside of the kingdom of God. The kingdom that was offered, the Pharisees were outside of it. I think when we look at the disciples, they were to do these important things that were given to them by Jesus himself and associate with that law. Let me give you some quick observations, and we'll pick up with verse 20 and go into 21 next, next Sunday. First of all, this is, not, this is for us, but it's not to us. These, these verses are not to us. They're for us. The nation of Israel had, to, had this kind of orientation to the Torah. It was their constitution. When there's people that walk around today and say, well, we obey the Mosaic law, I have issues with that because they're trying to be something they can't be. Secondly, there, there will be rank and order in the kingdom based on one's personal orientation to the Torah and, and how one influences others in that kingdom. There's going to be rank and file. Anybody have a pro- I don't have a problem with that. They're going to be in the kingdom, okay? Thirdly, judging whether one is deserving of the kingdom is not about law obedience. If you, des- if you say, oh, I deserve the kingdom, I obey the law, that's wrong orientation. You're in the kingdom, you obey the law. Do you understand? That's what he's talking about, the nation of Israel, okay? Fourthly, gaining entrance into the kingdom is by a new birth. Always, listen, there's two things going on. Israel is in the nation, uh, as a nation, is to be in the kingdom of God. But to get in that, that national distinction, the whole nation has to be saved. And in John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again in order to enter the kingdom. So this nation, as a national entity, in that kingdom, orientating to its law, is also a saved nation that has come to him through Christ alone. You get that? Two different things going on. So what happens is we jumble those things and we misinterpret what Scripture says. And Jesus, in his time, he's meant to respond to the message that began with John the Baptist. Repent. Change your mind. Israel had to change their mind. Confess where they were as far as the law was concerned specifically. And what? Be identified in that kingdom. Be identified by John the Baptist or Jesus' disciples later. To apply this to the church today would cause a multitude of issues and has caused a multitude of issues. I don't know how many books are out there that understand the Sermon on the Mount for today. Don't do that. I have a book on my shelf that's about this thick. It's called Sermon on the Mount, the many interpretations of it. Most of the interpretations is how to understand it today. And you can't make that square peg fit that round hole. It doesn't fit. This verse, along with verse 20, helps us introduce the rest of the chapter to Jesus' teaching about Torah issues. Jesus is going to teach issues that have been brought up because Pharisees have taught something about the law, and he's going to teach them the proper understanding of what that says and meant to say. And the law is always meant to do what? Cut to the heart, not to the physical outside. It wasn't about being a whitewashed tomb. It was being what? In the heart, wanting to obey. And willingness to obey. But I will say this. What matters in any age is how one honors the word of God. We must have the highest view of scripture. Whether it's to a yot, a tittle. Whether it's to a beth, a kaf. Whether it's to a dalit or resh. Whatever the letter is. The least of these commandments are the less weightier. However, they make up the Torah, that is to be practiced and taught. Every word matters. You can't say, well, remember the rich young ruler. Jesus only gave him a few. And he said, all these things, well, what about the rest? You can't select out the few you've obeyed. James says it very easily. I'm going to close with James 2.10. If you broke one law, you broke them all. You broke one, you broke them all. The weighty issue is, what are you lining up to and how are you lining up to it? So we'll pick up with verse 20 next week. Let's pray. And we were going to sing a song, but things have changed. So we're going to go out singing that merry song together. I love you, Lord. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer.
Father, we thank you for this time we've had in Matthew. A lot of information. Help us to process this. Help us to, uh, if we have to be retaught something, relearn something, realign. Father, you help us. We want to be close to the understanding as possible. It's not an easy section of scripture to grasp, but we want to be as close as we can to a total understanding how it aligns with all of scripture, Father. And again, in the time that it was in and the people he was addressing, Father, we thank you for this time. Uh, We pray for all as they go their separate ways. We pray for those that are under the weather. Put your healing hand upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace.